The UK Investor Magazine podcast is brought to you in association with Oanda, the broker of choice for traders who want a smarter way to trade. Trade with Oanda and get one year's subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into UK interest rates. We're going to be looking at the market impact of the Bank of England's decision last week to hike rates by 0.5%. And we're also going to be looking forward to the rest of the year, looking at the outlook for the UK economy and where rates could be going later on in the year. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by Craig Earlham, who is the markets analyst at Oanda. Craig, welcoming you to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to join. So, Craig, let's start and let's look at the interest rate decision last week and what it means for the Bank of England going forward. As I mentioned, it was a hike of 0.5%. There was an expectation of a 0.25% rate hike there. So it was a sharper increase in rates than expected. But from where you're sitting, Craig, and we're looking forward to the rest of this year. From what we heard from the Bank of England last week, does it look like that there will be more rate hikes to come in the coming months? Unfortunately, that does look highly likely. Um, We talk about that interest rate decision last week, and I understand what you're saying. It was a surprise to the extent that the markets were pricing in a greater chance of 25 basis points. There was a small chance in the markets of a 50 basis points. And to be honest, because of the inflation data we had the day before, I was actually surprised that there wasn't more talk of 50 basis points. The fact is that we've now had two real nasty months uh, of inflation data. So to put into context, it was only a month ago that the markets were weighing up whether core inflation would remain at 6.2% or not. And it came out at 6.8%. And then going into this uh, report for May, the expectation was that it would remain at 6.8%. It jumped to 7.1%. So that's a 0.9% jump in core inflation, the part of the inflation report that the Bank of England is most concerned with because that's being driven by things like services and wages and all the things that are really sticky and stubborn and difficult uh, to, to remove. Uh, this is the part of the inflation report that's rising. Uh, so th- this was a concern for the Bank of England. In fact, the headline number remained at 8.7. It's probably less of a concern because that's still being, uh, there's still a lot of things to work through into that. Things like energy inflation and fuel inflation and, uh, and, and food price inflation, things which are expected to come down quite considerably over the rest of the year. The same isn't necessarily true to the, to the same extent with the core inflation. So I was a bit surprised that there wasn't more talk of 50 basis points, to be quite honest. So I wasn't personally that shocked when they did hike by 50. And I actually think it was the right decision uh, in the grand scheme of things. If they are serious about achieving their inflation target, um, I think maybe a bit more now, enabling a little less later, uh, is probably necessary. And those two inflation reports had to uh, raise a few eyebrows within the Bank of England. 
and now the markets are pricing in quite a bit more to be quite honest and uh i'm hoping and I, 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 that this doesn't materialize as the markets expect and i suspect right now we're kind of in the the maybe the the darkest place as far as expectations are concerned because we've had those nasty inflation reports uh we haven't seen the kind of light at the end of the tunnel yet we should start to see that now over the next few months which i think will change things but markets are still pricing in five more 25 basis point rate hikes before the end of the cycle so that's still quite uh quite a bit uh i, I don't think it will get there because i just don't think the, co the economy can really take it but at this point in time like i say i feel like we're really at the kind of peak in terms of uh, of worst case scenarios uh i guess is that we've got a really resilient economy a really resilient labor market and uh really stubborn inflation and while that remains the case it's hard for the markets not to keep pricing in much more but there is going to become a tipping point because at five percent interest rates now if you're looking to remortgage or if you're on a floating rate mortgage it's now getting really quite painful uh this is a massive shift if you're on a two-year or five-year your mortgage rate will have gone up by four or five percent that's that that's huge uh, and that is not sustainable for the economy so craig just on that point there we're, we're looking at market pricing of terminal rates of about 6.25 percent going forward for the rest of this year and as you said that would equate to, to another five uh 0.25 percent hikes in the the interest rate is it as simple as if we start to see inflation soften between now and the end of the year that we then very quickly start to see interest rate expectations fall and then we don't get anywhere near that 6.25% level. I think so, but it also matters in terms of what under underlines it. So if headline inflation falls from 87 to 6.7 in the next couple of months, but core inflation remains above 7%, then I think interest rate expectations remain broadly the same. We need to see sustainable signs of inflation falling, not just energy prices, um, making it quite volatile, which is why we pay so much attention to core inflation, because energy prices, food prices, they can be quite uh, volatile from month to month, from year to year. Um, but the, like I said, the most concerning thing right now is we've got strong core inflation because we've also and we've also got strong wage growth and you can't blame people for negotiating those higher wages and for wanting more money because real terms wages are still falling wages are still far below what inflation is um but at the same time we need to see more sustainable wage growth we need to say see more sustainable um the services inflation if we are going to get back to two percent on a sustainable base and the bank of england is going to stop hiking so if we do see inflation fall over the next couple of months as many expect they will and we continue to see signs of underlying inflation so things like food price inflation etc falling as well um then i think we will see entry expectations paired back especially if that is accompanied by some loosening in the labor market because i think that's probably going to be important as well no one wants people to lose their jobs but the kind of bargaining power is still very much with uh, workers rather than employers at this point in time. And, there, and and therefore, there is still high demand. And when there is that type of high demand, then you, you see these kind of more sustainable levels of higher wages. Thank you. So now let's move on to the markets element of the announcement last week. And as we said, it was a surprise. But for, for, you said from, from your point of view, with that inflation number the day before, it wasn't a massive shock. Um, you know, maybe if that number had been released the week before, as opposed to the day before, that there might have been some changes to analysts and, and economist expectations. But in terms of the, the market fallout that we saw on the back of that, Craig, what were the key markets for, for you 
uh, in terms of of trade and and what you know were those moves expected given what we saw in that 0.5% interest rate hike well like you say there's always some volatility around the move uh, that's always to be expected but if you actually look at say how the pound has performed since it's actually a little bit weaker so that really kind of maybe aligns with this idea that there wasn't as much of a shock as you would have otherwise thought i think there was a bit of a spike in the immediate aftermath but it quickly gave those back I think the biggest shift has been in interest rate expectations. So there you're looking at the kind of bond markets for signals there in that prior to that announcement, the markets are pricing in rates rising to 6% rather than 6.25. So that's probably been the biggest shift. But overall, the the difficulty that we have right now, like, for example, stock markets continued uh, softening slightly over the course of the last couple of weeks, but are still in relatively healthy positions. And that's because of the resilience of the economy. So we haven't really hit that tipping point where we're seeing the any significant negative fallout in in the broader in the broader stock markets. The Like I said, the currency markets, the pounds remain strong. And I think that's twofold. We've got the higher rates and higher interest expectations and the resilient economy. My question is what's going to happen when the economy starts to roll over? Are we still going to see higher interest rates be conducive with a stronger pound or are people going to be looking at it as so, so damaging for the economy, uh, risking an inevitable recession that uh, that's become uh, softer for the pound in a similar way maybe that we saw during the uh, Liz Trust quasi quarting period last year when the pound wasn't necessarily performing well, uh, even though interest rate expectations were rising because of the, the proposed uh, stimulus package. So uh, it will be interesting to see what happens if the economy starts to roll over in that sense. So let's let's focus on the pound now, if we may, Craig, and, and, and sort of look at the relationship between the pound and the dollar. Of course, cable, as you said, starting starting to weaken slightly since that announcement. You know, now with the Bank of England very much front and centre when you compare them to, to the Federal Reserve, I mean they've been quite clear what they're doing over in, in the US. They're starting to see inflation fall but in terms of cable going forward for the rest of this year you know where where's the focus in that dynamic is is it more on the pound or is it more on, on what's going to be happening with the dollar do you feel that's a really interesting question because ordinarily the answers tends to be quite straightforward it's the dollar the dollar seems to be drive everything but right now as you say the fed may be at the end of its tightening cycle it's alluded to the fact that maybe uh they, they think there's going to be two more that the, the pause was only that uh, this month and that July is still a live meeting, whereas there's it's still all up in the air for the UK. It's still all up in the air for the, the UK interest rates. And therefore, for me, at this point in time, I'd, I'd say it's the pound that's going to be the pre- predominant driver of uh, of this currency pair, unless we see something dramatically shift. And that is a really big caveat because something dramatically shifts, it feels every six weeks or so uh, at this point and has done for quite some time. And I still don't think we've seen the full ramifications or the fallout from the the collapse of those US mid-tier banks in terms of the tightening of the credit markets and what that means for the economy. What's that going to mean for uh, interest rate expectations going forward? For up until maybe a month ago, the interest rate expectations for the US was that we would peak in the kind of second, third quarter, and then we'd start to see rate cuts later in the year. Those rate cuts have now been completely priced out the markets. They could be quite easily priced back in if we do see such tightening credit conditions that the economy begins to suffer and the Fed thinks that it's going to have to throw in some kind of supportive stimulus in order to try and soften the blow on the economy if it sees inflation coming down. That could be a dramatic shift, which moves everything straight back into dollar focus. Uh, And at the same time, in the UK, we could see a month or two of more stable, more reassuring inflation data, and all of a sudden expectations get paired back to something resembling more reasonable levels, and the focus shifts again. I think there's we're in a 
a constantly and rapidly evolving environment. So the focus is forever shifting. At this point in time, it's very much UK driven for me, uh, but that could change at any moment. So now look, let's look, uh, Craig, if we may, at the UK economy and, and what this rate hike means for underlying growth here. Or if, if we go back to the end of last year, there was a prediction that we'd see a recession here in the UK. Indeed, the Bank of England were predicting a long, drawn-out recession. But that's that's since changed. Um, of course, what's been happening um, in the wider global macro picture, there, there's been a slight pickup in growth that, that's helped uh, the, the UK. So uh, we really saw the ONS and the Bank of England change their stance on a recession. We have, we, we're yet to receive any meaningful updates. But does what we saw last Thursday increase the chance of a recession here? And do you expect to see any revisions to the growth forecast for the rest of this year from the Bank of England and, and the ONS? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I consider myself quite an optimist, but I've, I've, I've got to be honest, when it comes to the UK, I've been in the more pessimistic end of the scale for the last uh, six to 12 months. And to be quite honest, again, uh, I've been amazed at the resilience that we've seen in the economy. Uh, I, I, I understand there's certain reasons behind that that has helped, uh, but at the same time, and the fact that obviously these rate hikes haven't fully filtered through to the economy, um, that there are fewer mortgage holders uh, than there were maybe 10 or 20 years ago, and that has an effect in terms of the knock-on effects of higher mortgage rates impacting a smaller proportion of households and people. But at the same time, I'm pretty surprised that the economy is being quite as resilient as that is. And that's a great thing in some circumstances. But my fear, and again, like I'm probably at the more pessimistic end of the scale, these are the idea that the UK can avoid a recession, I find, um, I find staggering because the idea of interest rates rising to 6% or close to 6% or just above 6% without a recession feels incredibly improbable to me i just don't think that that's sustainable uh, over any period of time to be quite honest so i am still at the more pessimistic end of the scale like you say forecasters uh, like the imf and the bank of england they now believe that the uk will avoid a recession i would be interested to see whether that remains the case when they ne next release their forecast because if i'm not mistaken i think interest rate expectations have risen by around three quarters of a percent maybe a bit more since some of these most recent uh forecasts and i think that changes things significantly so it will be interesting to see what they've got to say right now and my concern is that the more resilience that we see in the economy now the more pain we're going to have later because that just ultimately means higher interest rates for longer uh, at unsustainable uh, and painful levels like i said i hope i'm wrong i hope i'm wrong again um i hope the uk economy proves me wrong i hope more that inflation comes down so the bank of england can stop raising interest rates and potentially tipping the economy over the edge but at this point in time I'm just struggling to see a scenario where we get a soft, pain, relatively pain-free landing. Yes, and those forecasts or changes to forecasts will be highly anticipated. So moving on now, Craig, it'd be good to look at the you know, central banks and take a bit of a step back now and, and look at you know, the divergence or potential divergence in, in policy. Because if you look at the beginning of, of this year, you know, they were very much moving in tandem. If you, if you look at you know, the Bank of England and the ECB and the Federal Reserve, they were all hiking rates. Now, there could be an opportunity here if we see divergence in their policies going forward. So from that state of, of moving in unison just, just a, a number of months ago, 
Do you see any real divergence now in the policies of, of central banks? And you know, is there possibly an opportunity in that in, in the currency markets, maybe? Absolutely. I think the we have now hit a point when central banks are going to move less in unison. Now, I still think there's a degree in the markets where there is still a view that while every country's situation is slightly different, there is a lot of similarities. And where that, I think, is evident is that once upon a time, or for the majority of the time, if something happens in the US, it can have ripple effects elsewhere. And gold, for example, tends to be a lot more responsive to things like the Federal Reserve and the EC, uh, and sorry, and the US economic data, um, especially when it, the gold priced in dollars. But more recently, we're seeing things like the Eurozone inflation data from last month when we got a dip in both headline and core unexpectedly. And gold responded quite well to that, even gold priced in dollars. And when we saw the UK inflation data, we saw a response to that as well. So that for me is a sign that people see trends. And when we got that positive Eurozone inflation data, that was maybe seen as a sign that we're going to see a similar movement in the US because maybe the things that have driven Euro area are going to be driving the US as well. So from that perspective, I still think there is an element that people view this as kind of one issue, uh, fit one issue for all, and therefore positive signs in one could be seen as positive signs for others. That said, I think going into the second half of this year, there is going to be some differences and we're starting to see that already. We had the pause from the Bank of Canada and then it implemented that surprise rate hike. The RBA looked as though it was going to pause and then it carried on raising interest rates. The Fed has now paused and may or may not raise interest rates again. The euro area, one, maybe two more uh, rate hikes and then, of course, the UK and so on and so forth. And I think there's going to be a movement in Japan in the next six to 12 months, which is um, which is uh, not something we are used to seeing. But I do think there is pressure mounting from that perspective. All of these divergences which are going to start to form as we do hit, uh, start to fall from peak inflation and see what the different paths back to target are going to be and what the implications are going to be for the economies, etc. I do think that is going to create more volatility, particularly in FX markets. If you think of how little volatility there was in the aftermath of the financial crisis, talking maybe, what, 2012 onwards, uh, when we were seeing record low uh, interest rates uh, across the board and maybe some QE, and volatility was was quite, uh, was quite short. Uh, whereas now with these divergences, I think, should potentially be positive for volatility, uh, particularly, I say, in the Forex markets, which would make life very interesting uh, going into the end of 2023. Thank you very much, Craig. And, and to some extent, you've just answered my next question, which was, do you expect volatility to pick up in, in the rest of the year? And, and I think from what you said there, the answer to that would, would be yes. Um, but it'd be interesting to hear you know, potential markets where you, you see the, the most volatility. We mentioned stocks there, relatively benign at the moment, FTSE 100 trading not a million miles away from all-time highs. Of course, you know, some of the currency pairs have really quietened down. You know, where, where do you see things really livening up as, as we go into the close of 2023? Well, like I said, then if you look at FX, I think there's there's lots of currency pairs which you can be looking at where you're seeing divergent monetary policies. And to be honest, I mean, if the Bank of Japan does signal it's going to make a move, then the yen pairs, I think, uh, could potentially see the, the, the a, a large amount of volatility just simply on the back of that because they've been so tied to yield curve control for such a long time. So if the Bank of Japan moves, then I think the yen is going to be a massive focal point. But already we're seeing talk of potential FX interventions because of the weakness we've been seeing in the Japanese yen as well. So I think that's going to be a key focus then going into the end of the year. 
because we're talking about interest rates, I think it's impossible not to talk about gold. Um, that's uh, uh, that makes uh, obviously a lot of sense because the the intrinsic tie uh, with inflation and, and interest rates. I think oil maybe to a lesser extent, but that could be famous last words. We've seen it kind of consolidate into a range for the last couple of months. And it seems that OPEC plus, particularly Saudi Arabia, are finding it very difficult uh, on that sense. Um, and then Bitcoin has sprung back to life. New 2023 highs. Maybe this kind of BlackRock ETF, uh, one or two other ETFs, and uh, on top of all the uh, the kind of SEC uh, attention, etc., that could potentially drive a lot of volatility as well. So I think everywhere you look in the markets going into the end of the year, you could find you could find something interesting to talk about that's going to generate volatility in the markets. But I would also add to that. This is an incredibly uncertain period. So yeah. what we're talking about now, I maybe wouldn't have expected three months ago. And what we're talking about in three months' time, it's hard to say now. So uh, that's that's the interesting thing about these markets. Times are tough. Times are challenging. Um, economies are are, are are kind of struggling with um, with inflation. But what that means for the markets is that it brings with it volatility and interest. Craig, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. As you mentioned there, you know, what will be happening in, in three months time. Very interesting to see. And I'm sure uh, we'll get you back on the podcast when that happens. And we can look through the moves uh, that happen in the interim. So, Craig, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. This podcast was presented by Oanda, Trading View's most popular broker. Trade with Oanda and get one year subscription to Trading View Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.